This is Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is God's Word. Let's pray together. God, as we peer again into this difficult uh, topic, war, life as a battle, we pray that you would protect us even now, but that you would raise our hearts. The Apostle Paul can say on the one hand that we are in a battle, and yet at the same time we must rejoice and we can rejoice in you. So would you enliven our hearts, bring joy to our minds and to our souls now. But I do pray that you would convict us. That you would convict us and remind us again of your glory, your goodness, and the truth that we must walk in. Give us obedience today by the work of the Spirit. He must apply it to our hearts or we will be disobedient. We will be stubborn. But we know you are loving and gracious and you will see to it. God be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The author of Ecclesiastes reminds us that in this life there are different seasons. There is a time for everything. So, The famous passage, you know this, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. At the very end, he says, a time for war and a time for peace. Time for peace. We are mostly, and I say that generally, mostly at peace in the world today. There are few open conflicts, few wars, but war will come, we know that. It is part of the reality of living on this planet, under heaven. Now what Paul reminds us though is it's a little bit different in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly places there remains a great divide between war and peace. Peace is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. But this means that war is now. Now, the Puritans, uh, they were famous. They were so attuned to the battles that we face in this life. They were famous for that. They felt it. They lived it. They believed it. Now, last week I mentioned the Puritan Thomas Brooks. I'm going to give you another one today. William Gurnall. He wrote a 1,200-page book called The Christian in Complete Armor. But just like Thomas Brooks, that's just the beginning part of the title. I'm going to read the whole thing to you because it's just awesome. Or a treatise of the saints' war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made, or that grand enemy of God and his people and his policies, power, seed of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints, a magazine opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual armies for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapon together with the happy issue of the whole war. That is awesome. And he wrote that because he faced it. He believed it. He was actually a very weak, poor man. 
And yet he stood in strength. And he wanted his congregation, and I want you as a church, as a people, to know and stand strong. We face this reality as believers. We understand that the breathtaking war of God is coming. And it's coming. Spiritual war, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. Against the forces of darkness and evil. And against the devil himself. You know that. William Gurnall writes this also. He says, in heaven we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. But here the pieces of armor are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them. You do not go out onto a football field unless you're wearing pads and a helmet. You don't climb up on a mountain unless you have snow gear, ice axes, rope. You do not stand to fight in a battle without armor. And especially the battle that Paul is talking about. This is the battle of all time. And it lists all men and women and even children. The devil even comes after our little ones. If we claim Christ, so he will come. And so the Apostle Paul says you must put on God's weapons of warfare. His protective panoply. That is the King James Version. I love that word, the panoply. Every piece. And so we are going to walk through every piece this morning. It's a little bit of a different sermon this morning. We are going to figure out what they mean, what they are, what happens when we don't put them on, and why they are so precious. Now listen, if you grew up in the church, I know you have heard this sermon a thousand times. The armor of God, we've got to put on the armor of God. You'll be tempted to check out Please don't be reminded. My guess is that you have let some of these pieces fall off of you, or maybe you have never put them on to begin with. If you did not grow up in the church, this may sound all very odd, militaristic, aggressive, devils, evil incarnate, I would say, be careful not to have to be too close-minded. Perhaps there is not only a reason for the evil that we see and experience, but possibly path to stand against it. And so we are going to get to work this morning. So Paul, in that passage, Ephesians 6, he is picturing a Roman centurion. We think that he's, remember, he's in prison when he's writing Ephesians. Maybe he sees his guard and he's reminded of the centurions who walk around all, all day in Rome. Massive, powerful men, and they are wearing this amazing armor. So this is probably close to what it looks like. I don't think that we have any of these pieces today. Protective, mighty, powerful. Now, we put on spiritual armor. So I actually like this picture better for us. I think that's cooler. I think that's what it looks like. I like that. Our armor is from God. And what does he say first? The first thing he says is the belt of truth. So verse 14 says this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So this would have wrapped around the soldier's midsection at some level. I don't think it was to hold up his pants that much. It might have tied up his undergarments, but I think mainly it was there to put this sort of iron and, and leather 
uh, skirt around his legs to cover, protect his legs. Allowed him to be mobile, but covered him and his midsection. Now Paul says we are to do the same. We are to put on a belt. We are to cover ourselves, but with what? With truth. And I'm going to give you two possible explanations for what the truth is. So early commentators, right after Jesus lived and died and was risen to life, early commentators said that this is referring to the truth. Put on the truth, so the truth of God, the very basics, his revelation. We are protected when we cover ourselves with the reality of God, with his life and his salvation. Those are the early commentators. Later commentators thought, no, it's not the truth. It doesn't say the in the actual words. It just says truth. And so they think that it possibly means truth that is lived out. Truth that is lived out. So we may call it integrity. And honesty. We may say that we are not to be deceitful, but to live out in the open. We do not hide our lives in the dark, but let them out into the light. Now, honestly, we don't have to pit these two things against each other. The early commentators' idea of the truth gives rise to this other truth. We can live in the light. We can walk in integrity because God is in the light, because he walks in perfect integrity. If we love him, we will do what he Says Now, friends, the temptation is what? It is to get in league with the devil, to get into the mud with him. To win in life, we think that we must fight on his turf according to his rules. To be a little deceitful, to walk outside of integrity just a little bit. With a vote. With a business, with a business decision. With a lie to your spouse. We cannot win a fight like that. John Stott says this, to be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy, to resort to intrigue and scheming, this is to play the devil's game. And we shall not be able to beat him at his own game. Friends, the truth has set us free. We do not need to live in the shadows. You do not need to cower where the devil lives. Live in the light. There you will defeat the devil. And so we put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Okay, what's next? The breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this would have been the the heavy fortified armor that you would have put over your head, not on your head, but over, almost like a a t-shirt, and it would have hung in the front and in the back. It would have protected you from any oncoming blow, from a spear, from an arrow, from a sword. It It protected, it covered your vital organs. In a sense, this is the most important piece of armor, and it is imperative for us as well. Why? Why must we don the breastplate of righteousness? Well, for what righteousness is. For what it is. Righteousness is simple. It is right standing before God. When you put this on, you are saying, the Lord God in all of His holiness and might and power looks on me with favor. He has justified me in His sight and now He sees no guilt in me. That is what happens when we put on the righteousness. But listen, we need to put it on because we do not have any on our own. 
I was reading the Psalms this week. It says this, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is righteous in your sight. Totally true. On our own, we are not righteous. Our record of good works, our resume of goodness is meager, insufficient. On our own, we are not righteous. Now listen, I want you to know that the devil knows this. He knows this about us and he knows how much we struggle with it. And he uses it against us. He knows how important it is and so he speaks lies into our heart to try to get us to fall. And now he tells us two very different things at different times in our lives when we are weak. The first thing is this. He tells us, we are not that bad. We are not that bad. Our righteousness, it's good enough. We can keep on doing what we're doing. We can keep on building the record the way we're doing it. Just keep on doing whatever you're doing. You are a good person. Second, he will tell us this, and it is the opposite. He will say, you are condemned. You are condemned. You are lost forever. There is no coming back from your darkness, from your depravity. Those sins in your past, they will haunt you forever. You are guilty. Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It is an alien thing, and yet it is given to us. And friends, when we do that, we hear the words of Jesus speaking into our heart first. Not only are we not good, we are far worse than we know. That is hard to hear. And yet it is true. And we must hear it. We must believe it. We are not good and we are far worse than we know. Isaiah says that our righteous deeds are not armor. Far from it. Our righteous deeds are filthy, tattered rags. They will not be able to save us. But as we are holding that, we understand that this other piece of truth comes in, sweeping in, and it is so magnificent, and we can hear the Lord speaking, Jesus speaking to us. You are not condemned. You are now one with me. We know that the gospel says that Jesus, when he died, he defeated death, and when he was raised to new life, that he gave us his righteousness, his record. So friends, when we are putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we are putting on Jesus. And when we do that, man, we strike fear in the heart of the devil. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Martin Luther. He said this, When the devil accuses us and says, You are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, Because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, You give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your own sword I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet for Christ died for sinners. My favorite part. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. Okay, what's the next thing? The next thing. The boots, the shoes. Readiness to spread the word. The shoes for the gospel. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, we don't have any idea what these shoes would have looked like. They were probably some sort of boot 
We can assume that they would have been protective at some level, sturdy. And I think that we can also probably imagine that they helped a soldier dig in and gain traction into the earth. Roman armies were famous, not always for charging forward, but for stopping and holding fort. They would just dig in and let the enemy burn itself out. Shoes helped to do that, to dig in. Shoes also help us to preach the gospel. I actually think that's really what this is about. It is about telling the good news. We have the feet, we have the shoes of peace, of the gospel of truth, that we may walk out, that we may run out and tell others about Jesus. These are designed to make us stand and move, to go, to tell. Fashioned with the gospel of peace, the good news of salvation, we can make inroads for the kingdom when we tell people about Jesus. So I think that Paul has in mind Isaiah 52, 7, when he says this, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul then, of course, picks this up in Romans 10. What does he say? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we've been saying all morning that armor is for protection. That is why we put it on. That is why God has given it to us. So how does... Do shoes of the gospel, how does sharing our faith, speaking the truth of the, of the word, of the good news, how does it protect us against the devil? I thought about this a lot. And I think that the answer is this. I think that when we go out and preach Jesus, we remember. We remember. It is protection when we remember what we are here for. When we put our careers, our friendships, our lives on the line to share the truth, we believe, we remember. We remember the sweet and precious and vital goal that all would be saved. That all would be saved. So John Piper says this. Convicted me this week. One of the reasons that we are not moved by our own faith is because we are Almost never talk about it to any unbelievers. When I first got out of seminary, I, was, I had a big head in many different ways. Full of myself, full of knowledge, full of everything. And I really, in that, those, those three years, didn't have a, a lot of chances to share my faith. And I finally did. I started working at this church and I shared uh, Jesus with someone. And they looked at me and they said, well, that's great. Why should I become a, a Christian? And I hesitated. I didn't know. All that knowledge, all that Bible, all that Greek and Hebrew, I couldn't simply say to him, this is why. That is a dangerous thing. Now I do. Because I share my faith. I tell people, I'm reminded constantly, 
why we do what we do, why we trust in him as we do. May we not be unprotected. May we not be exposed. I say put your life on the line for the lost. Not next month, don't don't wait. Not next year, don't put it way off. Today. Who in your life needs to be told that they are loved by God? Be bold in the Lord. You should have names rushing to your mind right now. Paul says that when we do that, when we share Jesus, we protect ourselves. Gospel shoes. Here's the next thing. Somewhere. The shield of faith. Shield of faith. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, the Roman shield, it was awesome. And it was the, there were a couple different kinds of shields, but we can, we're thinking that this one is the big one. It's a, it's, it stood four feet tall, three feet wide, and its purpose was to protect against arrows, against artillery attack, airborne attack. And it was huge, and so it was heavily fortified so that you could literally get behind it. You could shield yourself from anything that came your way. Paul has that in his mind when he says, you are to take up a shield also, but you take up the shield of faith. For what is coming your way are the vicious darts, the arrows of the devil. Now you can imagine what these arrows are, but I like how John Stott says it. He says that the darts include his mischievous accusations. Unsought thoughts of doubt and disobedience, rebellion, lust, malice, fear. What is the devil trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to abandon God, to say, no, the truth is not the truth. I don't need the sovereign Lord. I can do this on my own. And so he knows where to point his arrows. He knows where our vital organs are. In other words, he knows how to tempt us. But it's not just that when they strike that we are killed or put down. They are flaming, Paul says. They are flaming and so they take over our whole life. But as I thought about it, I understand that not just do they take over our, our own lives, but they spread to other people as well. When we, are, when we fall to temptation, when we sin, our sin can engulf those around us. We hurt them. We possibly lead them to sin more. Friends, what are the arrows that you face? What do you need to be protected from? You do need to be protected, and so Paul says you have something at your ready. It is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, how does it beat back doubt and temptation and depression? How does it beat back those things? Well, when you are covered by faith, you are laying hold to the manifold and countless promises of God. That's, the, that's what faith is. It is believing in the truth of the Lord and His promises for us. Faith is remembering, it is recalling, trusting that God is real, that He's created us, that He loves us, that He has died for us. And that what He provides, what He asks from us, is infinitely better than any sin. The arrows are coming our way and we dive under that shield given by him, our faith, 
our faith and we stand. Okay, just two more. The helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Take it, and he's, I'm assuming he means to put it on too. The soldier's helmet was made from heavy iron, and they put it on, and it covered the whole head, front to back, and even down the sides of the, of the mouth so that you couldn't be attacked really anywhere except the middle of the face. We are to take the helmet, and we are to put it on as salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, how do, you, how do you put that on? Why is that important? Well, putting on salvation, I think, means to remind yourself of who you already are. That is what he means. You put this on and you remind yourself you are saved by Christ. Aren't we known by our faces? When people say, I know that person, they're not talking about their muscles usually. They're talking about their face. Not their clothes, but what they look like. Paul says your identity is with salvation. Who you are is who you are in Jesus, and who you are in Jesus is saved. One of the biggest problems in the Christian life is that we let our good works, our feelings, determine the status of our identity. Who we are before God is determined by how well we are doing in this life and how well we feel, how good we feel. But our identity should be in the salvation that we already have. Theologian up at Gordon-Conwell a long time ago, he said this. He said, we start each of our days with the personal security, resting not on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or recent achievements in the Christian life. Since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we are inevitably moved either to discouragement and apathy or to self-righteousness which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. To simplify that, how we feel, how we are doing in this life, that is what we say our identity is. Paul says, no, you take the... Helmet of salvation to remind you who you already are. I am already saved. I am no more saved today than I was when I first believed. God loves me unconditionally in Jesus. And because of this, I can live my life in service to him. The outworking of my salvation and my good, are my good works and good feelings. This is who I am. Okay, last piece. Last piece of armor. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Verse 17. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which is the Word of God. Sword play in Roman wars meant close combat, close conflict, and so you must be agile, mobile, ready to defend or to strike. So with the Word of God. The Bible. It is vital to our defense and offense because you know that the blows come in at every angle, from every place, and we must be ready. 
If you remember, this is the primary weapon that Jesus uses when he was taken up onto that mountain by the devil himself. Every time Satan tempted him, Jesus did not give him some new saying. He recounted him the word of God, the promises of God. The word of God stands forthright against the devil. It stands forcefully. The devil never has any answer for it. And friends, so that means we must store this sword up into our hearts. We must allow it to prick our consciences, train us in righteousness, wake us from our slumbers, show us our blind spots, defend us against the devil's accusations, and cut down and kill our sins. Do you read the word? Do you store it up? Do you memorize it? Do you love it? What I've noticed in my short life, my short 38 years, is that as believers age, as they get up there in age, they grow fonder and fonder and more and more dependent on the Word. When we're young, what do we say? We don't have, too, we don't have enough time to do that. We are too busy. There are more important things to focus on. By the end of your life, you are wise. And you realize the most important things were right in front of you all along. The Word of God, handed to us by grace. What if we didn't wait? What if we drank in all these precious words from our Father, put them at our ready, and used them often? The sword of the Spirit. That's all of them. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel bringing shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. This is the panoply of God. The panoply of God. Two final things strike me about this. First, it is astounding that this is all available to us. It is an incredible array, a panoply of defensive weapons, of offensive weapons. By the grace of God, He has given these things to us and we would be crazy not to pick them up. And we would be crazy mainly because this armor, this is the second thing, this armor is God's own armor. When you put these things onto your life, onto your heart and soul, you are using the same things that God uses in His battle for us. So Isaiah 59, 17 says this, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. What is provided to us is God himself. Well, let's end by saying that we know what it costs him to give us these things. We said it last week and we will say it again. To give us his armor, Jesus had to take it off. Piece by piece, Jesus took off his helmet. He laid down his shield. He dropped his sword. He removed his shoes. He let go of his belt and he took off his breastplate. And he faced the enemy in complete and total weakness and allowed himself to be struck down for us so that we could pick up these things and put them on. Put on His vast strength. And I'm not going to end there. I'm going to end with something else. We will never stand alone. We will never stand alone. Jesus did not just die, you know that. 
but he rose to new life. And when he rose again, he then ascended. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what he was doing at that moment was putting the devil on notice. He would return, but not in weakness, and not to die, but to conquer, to finally restore peace. The book of Revelation says that Jesus will return draped in righteousness, wearing the great crown of salvation with a sword coming from his mouth and his name will be emblazoned across his leg, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is who is coming back. And you may stand in his strength today. May you stand and await his return. Let's pray. God, you have granted us grace. You have granted us grace in this hard time. God, we face so many things in this life. We face hardships. We face grief. We face despair. And yet we know that you are with us. God, I wrote a confession this week, and I'm going to read it for us this week as our prayer. For each of these things, I pray that we would listen to you, that we would confess and then take them on. God, would you prepare us for the battle? Would you forgive us our deceit? Help me to stop. May I live out in the open where the light is. May I wear truth as a belt. Lord, forgive my fear. I do not believe that I have your righteousness, that I must make my resume, my record, apart from you, my thing, my identity. But I am neither good nor gone. I am neither good nor condemned. I am a sinner and yet you have saved me. May I wear this as a breastplate. Lord, forgive me that I have allowed my walk to wane because I have not shared you. The reason I do not long for you is because I have not pointed to unbelievers the reason why they should long for you. Lord, open doors. Allow me to speak boldly and confidently. And Lord, I pray that people would respond not because of my ability, but because of your sovereign hand. Allow me to put on those shoes. Forgive me, Lord, that I have have allowed the arrows of Satan to come flinging into my soul. They have not only wounded me, but set me ablaze, and they have affected those around me. They have hurt and offended and been a millstone. Oh, Father, forgive me. And may I put up that shield of faith. May I trust in your promises. May I trust that you love me and want what is best for me. Oh Lord, forgive me for I have relied on my sanctification, not my justification for my identity. I have let my present feelings and recent achievements bring me joy, confidence, and strength, not your saving grace. And Lord, it hasn't worked. May I put your salvation on like a helmet. This is who I am. I am your own, your son, your child. You have saved me and there is nothing I can do to earn or lose your love. Help me to put on my identity, your salvation given to me. Lord, forgive me that I have not relied on your word. These are the words from you revealed to us. Lord, I treat them as as any other compendium of boringness. 
but may I see them as great, sharp, powerful, sustaining. May I see them as indispensable in the fight against my attackers. May I store it up in my heart. May it be my joy, my food, my strength, and may it cut the devils in my life into pieces. God, I pray all these things for me and for everyone here. May we be protected in all ways, in every season. In Jesus' name, amen.